Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. From days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The dream that came through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. It came here, the Fandom Nexus. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to our host as he plugged in his microphone. I have a podcast! Here he is, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. Hello and greetings, my friends. It is time once again to journey into the Neverland Fandom Nexus. I know it's been about three weeks since we were able to have another episode, and I've gotten to where they were every two weeks, and occasionally we'd have every week, but you know, I... I'm working on getting consistency. Things are just a little crazy sometimes, and you just, I'm, I don't know, ever since COVID hit, I, I haven't gotten my groove back going, <laughs> I guess. But uh, we are back, but I am flying solo today. Uh, couldn't quite get coordinated with Philip today, and I really needed to get this show recorded and going. I have to go pick up uh, the windy nerd Heather, my wife, uh, later from work. Uh, I'll have to tell you that story here in a bit after I tell you what's happening on uh, on the, the rest of the day uh, on the show. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, Philip is also busy right now. The new WWE 2K22 game has been released, and you know, he told me that he was afraid he was going to you know, start playing it Monday night and just play it all night, and I think he did. And I think he uh, took a short break and slept for a little bit, but then he got right up and started playing again. So, I see that he had just posted recently on Facebook that he's finished creating himself and the creator wrestler, and he's now working on other people. So, he is just spending all of his time on that, as expected. So, I'm sure at some point when I get him back on here, we'll get a full review of that game. But, not today. Today's episode is pretty much all about the Batman. We're going to talk about some history of the character. I will give you two different reviews, one spoiler-free, then at the end of the show... I will get spoilery with that show or with that film, so be prepared. In fact, I've uh, even learned some things here pretty recently that uh, would be somewhat spoilery, but it's also a lot of speculation, so I don't want to get into it. But this is a Batman-themed show, which would have been great to be able to talk to Phil on, but uh, that's okay. We, we will march on on our own or on my own, whatever you want to refer to it as. Uh, normally, though, this is where I'd go into a little bit of what I call the host chatter. And this is when we ask the question, what have you been watching? Uh, the main thing that I want to tell you that I've started watching, and uh, I guess I'm a season behind on this. Well, I was when I started. But, you know, I've had it recommended to me that I would like the series Resident Alien with Alan Tudyk. Because Alan Tudyk, I mean, he is hilarious. Uh, I don't remember what episode number it would be, but uh, I did record... Uh, 
with him uh, at a panel at Planet Comic Con a long time ago, and I did share some audio from that panel. And he was uh, just a lot of fun at the panel. I didn't get a chance to ask him any questions, but he had brought a lot of random things from his travels and was giving them away to people who would ask questions. So it was really a lot of fun. He is just a character and a half and a really great actor. He's really good at really stepping into good character roles. And I don't know who, how many people could have be playing an alien character that is, you know, very distinct, kind of like Brent Spiner playing data. He had a very distinct mannerisms and everything. And uh, Alan Tudyk has really got a very distinct as playing an alien who has arrived on earth. And he is in the first season. He has lost a device he needed uh, to fulfill a mission, which his mission had been to, uh, Set off the device that will kill all the humans, but leave everything else alive. That's at least where it got started, but uh, his mission goes wrong when his ship gets struck by lightning. A lot of fun things happen along the way. There's a lot of goofy, kind of awkward comedy. Uh, a lot of good heartfelt kind of drama. Especially the second season, the drama kind of picked up. But I've had some fun watching this goofy series uh, with a, a lot of fun, quirky characters that live in this town that he's hiding out in. It's just been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Second season, though, like the third episode, and apparently I'm not the only one who really did not like this episode. It seems that with a lot of series, uh, they want to have an established franchise, and then they want to stick an agenda in it. And uh, that happened in the third episode of the second season. Now, this is from a Dark Horse comic book that I don't know how many people were familiar with the subject of you know within the comic book. But then we get a television series. They ran one season. It had a couple of woke moments in the first season, but it really wasn't that bad. But second season, third episode, it was just an episode. And it was really bad. And apparently got really bad ratings and reviews for that third episode. People really did not like it. But uh, it seems it has picked up. Uh, I'm up through the fifth episode, I think, now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was up through the fifth episode that I viewed. Fifth or sixth uh, on Peacock. I'm not sure exactly where they're at when they're actually airing these, I believe, on the Sci-Fi channel, which there's definitely been some language that I'm like, yeah, I don't know. How much are you allowed to say on cable now? I don't know. That's uh, that's one thing I got to warn you. If you decide to watch it, it's definitely not something for your kids to watch. Uh, it, is the, it, it is the way of television now. They will put some language after certain hours. And um, there was one word that I heard. That it's like they bleeped once or twice, but now they've just let that word fly. Uh, which you know, apparently you can do in a PG-13 movie. You can let that word fly once, and they won't give you an R rating, uh, which we did see happen in The Batman, uh, which, by the way, The Batman, not a good movie to take your kids to, i got to say. It was definitely not aimed at kids. Um, despite kids being fans of Batman, this is not one to take your kids to, which is something I saw another reviewer say, so I enjoyed this, but don't take your kids. Uh, I will go ahead and get that out there now, but we'll talk about that movie later, of course. But anyway, so yes, Resident Alien have been watching, have been uh, overall enjoying it. Do recommend it uh, for adults. What have I been playing? Well, I mentioned last episode that I was playing through The Outer Worlds. I have since completed it. Uh, overall, it's it's a pretty good game. Uh, it's very neat stylistically. It, was, it felt like a Western at times. Uh, it's almost... Some of, the, some of the areas are almost steampunk with the technology, uh, but it was a very unique type of game and uh, stylistically of being a space adventure. It reminded me a little, though, about a Mass Effect, where in order to get some of your characters to, to be as effective as you want them to be, you need to do all their character quests. Even the one character quest I didn't really get a kick out of, but I it was a long one, too, but I, you know, I had to do it. 
And I did notice like the choices I make, it was kind of, you never know what the consequences are going to be sometimes. It's hard to tell what the right choice is on some of the decisions I had to make in the game. But everybody that I made a choice with, you know, they showed up at the end in the final conflict and assisted me in the big final battle, which was kind of cool to see how it worked out. And then there was a big ending that showed the results of my actions of uh, long term down the road, what was going to happen because of what I did and the choices I made in the game. So it was interesting. I did enjoy playing through it. And after I finished that, I fired up Far Cry 4, which this is only the second Far Cry game, I, uh, game I've ever played. I did enjoy Far Cry 3. It had some real Rambo-feeling moments, you know, <laughs> in that one. Far Cry 4, I don't think I'm enjoying quite as much as Far Cry 3. Uh, it's still pretty good. Uh, but there's I definitely it's been more frustrating on finding the missions and trying to figure out what I want to do other than, you know, all these side mission things that are, um, well, I mean, cause you have side missions that are story based and then you have just tons and tons of activities that it's just, I don't, I can't think of the word that I want to use. It's just stuffed, you know, uh, it's, it's swollen with stuff and it's more stuff than I really want to do, which Far Cry 3 kind of had a lot of activities and different things you could do, but Far Cry 4 seems that they doubled down on the concept of having as many things in the world as you could possibly want to do, which can be good. I mean, I guess you're going to get your, your values worth of the price of a game these days, but yeah, it's just jam-packed with too much, and I'm actually trying to, I want to move the story along, and I can't. At the point I'm at, it will not let me move the story along or give me another story mission. I think there's one more side quest I need to do that I think will unlock some more story missions. So, but it seems like they're setting it up to where certain what would what seems like it'd be a side mission are now like a requirement that, uh, but they don't feel like they're story. They're not adding to the main story. They're just like side stories which is normally what a side mission ends. But other than that, you do have quick activities of, uh, you know, oh, hey, there's a hostage over here. Go save the hostage. Uh, there's a person we want you to assassinate. Go do that. And those those are like little, like, mini activities. And there's tons of those. That's what I'm talking about, being kind of almost swamped in it. But, yeah, it, overall, though, still pretty good game. You know, it's keeping me busy. I, I did get frustrated and uninstalled it, but then I realized what I needed to do. I mean, there's one point in the game where... They ask you to chase down a plane on an ATV. Well, the plane can fly and the ATV can't. And I was having a heck of a time trying to figure out what it was that they wanted me to do. And I, after 10 attempts at thinking, well, maybe I'm supposed to run it down and shoot it down. And I was trying to gun it down. And it just didn't seem to be having an effect. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to go play something else, I think. I uninstalled it. But then I looked up and say, oh, you know, I was like, did anybody figure this out? Well, of course, some people had to figure it out. So, but what did, I was wondering, what do they expect me to do? And I did look up a solution for it online. I said, oh, is that what it is? So I reinstalled the game, <laughs> came back, and had to replay through a very, very long mission where this is the final step in the mission, really, is this one confusing thing of launching an ATV at a plane. But I did get through it and have continued on in the game. But I'm at a point where I'm like, I want to move the story along. I've uh, done... It's one of those games where you have, you know, and it's an Ubisoft thing, where you have towers of some sort that you have to climb to the top of to, to unlock areas so where you can see everything that's going on there. I've in, in the area that I'm allowed, I've done all of those. I've done, I think, every enemy outpost that makes it more dangerous to be in the area. Uh, you know, so I'm like, okay, come on, let's move the story along here. So, but overall, you know, still playing along with it. And uh, at some point, um, you know, we do have the, the Skywalker Saga Lego Star Wars game, which I plan on pre-ordering, but I think I'm going to pre-order a PS5 version 
because there's a minifig that'll come along. And then when I get my PS5, I will play it on that later. Uh, it will take me some time to get there. Uh, I, I'm starting to regret a decision, though, to not go to Planet Comic Con because I am trying to save some money up for stuff. Planet Comic Con, their, their guest list is growing. Uh, it's coming up in April here in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I mean, now Adam Savage, formerly of Mythbusters, now he's got tested. Uh, he's now coming and... I keep seeing stuff posted on their social media of all the guests that they're going to have come along to there. And if, you know, it's coming up in April, if you live in the Kansas City area or if you just feel like traveling to a convention, Planet Comic Con this year is going to be lit. Uh, so it's going to, uh, the word now is that that smacks or slaps is what it is, which I guess it just hits you in the face really hard. But usually that's not a good thing. So, uh, yeah, but I don't think I'm going to make it this year. I didn't really get a panel set up to where I was going to be able to attend as a presenter. Uh, but next year, hopefully we'll get things rolling back again because I, I miss making uh, appearances at panels and getting to meet all of you that come out to them. Uh, we'll, we will try next year to get that rolling. All right, but anyways, it is time to take a look at some upcoming games and news. It always helps when I hit the right button. It seems every time. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Well, uh, let's just talk about some games that have come out recently or are on its way. You know, coming out for, for the Switch, PS4, and Xbox One, and the PC, Conan Chop Chop. Now, I don't know much about this, but I'm, I'm looking at video of the game, and it's this goofy... Uh, animated kind of I don't know if this is supposed to be a dungeon crawler it's kind of a goofy little animated game for Conan you'd expect it to be kind of dark gritty or whatever but it's uh, a little silly looking uh, this might actually be a whole lot of fun today and it's part of the Conan the Barbarian franchise developed by Mighty Kingdom and published by Funcom like I said for the Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and PC it's been rela- released on March 1st some online co-op multiplayer, some offline co-op multiplayer. Uh, and it looks really goofy. <laughs> That's one of the ones I might actually want to uh, look into. Elex 2, uh, or Elex, I have never heard of even the first one. It's on PS4, uh, PS5, Xbox, and Xbox One. And the PC... Why does it just say Xbox and Xbox One? I don't understand that. Well, they came out on March the 1st. I've watched just a little bit of video on that one. Also, Shadow Warrior 3. I never played the second one. Didn't finish the first one. Uh, A lot of more goofy fun. Gran Turismo 7 has come out on March the 4th. Uh, I remember playing uh, the demos of that on the original PlayStation, and just the amount of realism they went in there. Uh, Very, very impressive what they've managed to do. And as I mentioned here this week, WWE 2K22 has released on all major systems. We have a Grand Theft Auto V releasing on PS5 and uh, on on Xbox systems. Of course, this is uh, probably remastered. I don't know that they really made a whole lot of changes. Uh, You might recall if those that are fans of that series that they put out a trilogy. And they really didn't do a whole lot to spruce it up. And a lot of people were very... Disappointed, I guess, would be the word we would use. Death Stranding is coming to PC on March 30th, for those of you that were uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, a lot of people kind of, you know, I think it got the, some, I heard a lot of mixed reviews. I mean, it's very interesting, the detail on it. This is uh, by Hideo Kojima, 
Uh, now that he's no longer working with Konami, he uh, made this game with a different company. I forgot which. And it's uh, a walking simulator in a lot of ways from what I've heard. And some people have really enjoyed it. And uh, some people, I guess, not. Uh, I've, I've kind of watched some different videos and seen a lot of different stuff. Now, sometime here in quarter one, uh, Uncharted the Legacy of Thieves edition, by the way, is coming to PC during this time. But uh, something else, Stardew Valley, the board game. This is a cooperative multiplayer board game of farming and friendship based on the video game by Eric Barone, also known as Concerned Ape. Now, this is a tabletop game. I'm not sure how much it's going to sell for, but uh, I think my wife might be interested in playing this thing. We might have to pick it up. Okay, we were playing uh, Stardew Valley until she kind of got sidetracked by uh, Animal Crossing. So, no, that's all she plays. Okay, but now here's the button that I hit before, and uh, now I'm going to mean to hit it. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Oh. Get him, Mama. Oh. Get that gator. Ah. Ah. The Neverland Trailer Park. All right, this is something I had not heard of. Until uh, I think I saw it as a Facebook, or not a Facebook ad, but a YouTube ad. It's called The Atom Project. Can we maybe slow down? There's no one even following us. Don't look back. Look up. Uh, I think we're about to have some company. Stop the car. What? What? Stop! Go, 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 reverse! Laura, this is me. Hi. Parallel contact, babe? Well, you know, you've always said that you wished you'd met me earlier. Here I am. <laughs> Do you remember this? I mean, if this is happening to me, it already happened to you, right? Unless it works more like a multiverse where each rebel creates an alternate time. A multiverse? My God, we watched too many movies. So 2050, is it really bad? It's not great. Find him. Get ready to run. Godfather of time travel? The Atom Project. We don't pull this off. We're not getting back. What do you say, kid? Punch that shit. Oh, yeah. I spent 30 years trying to get away from the me that was you. Tell you what. You were the best part all along. How'd you get to be so smart? How'd you get to be so dumb? Let's try. 
All right, this stars Ryan Reynolds, directed by Sean Levy. It's got the producers of Free Guy, which is uh, encouraging because I really enjoyed Free Guy. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but this is a time-traveling pilot that teams up with his younger self and his late father to come to terms with his past while saving the future. Watch The Adam Project only on Netflix March 11th. And uh, I don't know why this didn't get put into theaters. This looked like it would have been done pretty well put in the theaters. Some of the, um, the I guess these are critics or whatever. They're putting up some quotes from critics. They're, one person, uh, this is gutsy to say. They're comparing this to E.T. and Back to the Future. That's all I'm going to say. It's like, uh, that's a lot to live up to. But they're saying this is a good family drama with heart and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean... Good adventure. This uh, says it would make Spielberg proud. So we'll see. Uh, but I think it looks pretty cool. That will be coming out in just a few days. Uh, and I probably am going to check it out. Now, here's something I, I did not know that I would want to watch. I did not know it was coming. Uh, and then I think this is something else that popped up as a YouTube ad. It's Elvis. There are some... Would make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? There's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. I can't move, I can't sing. Some people want to put me in jail. So well as moving. They might put me in jail for walking across the street, but you're a famous white boy. Way sweet is God given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Things are too dangerous to say. Sing. I'm gonna be 40 soon. And nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? making the most of this thing while I can. This call will be over in a flash. 
are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. June 24th. Baz Luhrmann has directed this uh, from uh, the Oscar-nominated visionary filmmaker Baz Luhrmann, by the way. Uh, And this is for Warner Brothers. This is Elvis starring Austin Butler and Oscar winner Tom Hanks. I bet you did not recognize Tom Hanks' voice unless you had seen this trailer and knew he was in it, right? And Austin Butler, I have never heard of this guy before, but oh my goodness, he's like dead ringer for Elvis. Uh, Even the way he's talking, my goodness. Uh, and granted, I was only alive for a few months before Elvis passed away. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess Elvis could leave because I was his replacement, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the film explores the life and music of Elvis Presley, seen through the prism of his complicated relationship with his enigmatic manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Story delves into the complex dynamic between Presley and Parker, spanning over 20 years, from Presley's rise to fame to his unprecedented stardom against the backdrop of the evolving cultural landscape and loss of innocence in America. Central to that journey is one of the most significant and influential people in Elvis's life, Priscilla Presley, played by Olivia de Jong. Starring alongside Hanks Butler, award-winning theater actress Helen Thompson plays Elvis's mother, Gladys Richard Roxburgh, and uh, portrays Elvis's father, Vernon and de Jong. Uh, plays Pr- Priscilla. Wait, how does it say? Got like two different people. Okay, I guess I think I'm getting a little confused here. There's a lot of names here. Uh, Luke Bracy plays Jerry Schilling. Natasha Bassett plays Dixie Locke. Uh, I mean, a lot of people. David Wenham. Haven't seen him in a while. And from Lord of the Rings, uh, plays Hank Snow. Kevin or Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, playing BB King. Sweet. Uh, Xavier Samuel plays Scotty Moore and Cody Smith McPhee plays Jimmy Rogers Snow. There's a lot of other people uh, from the cast. Uh, Dacre Montgomery from Stranger Things. Uh, a lot of different people in this thing. I mean, it's it's packed, uh, but it it just looks good. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to checking this out. Uh, I'm not a you know big biopic type person. I never did see the one on Queen because I heard it wasn't really that accurate, but uh, and people were kind of mixed on it, uh, so I didn't watch it. Well, I guess it wasn't really about Queen. Maybe it was more about Freddie Mercury. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I am a Queen fan. Uh, but you know, I didn't see that one. Uh, but this one, it just looks good. Uh, so definitely want to check it out. Now let's go uh, look into something a bit more fun that I didn't know there was going to be another trailer for, but uh, in front of the Batman, there it was. Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore. Memory is everything. Without it, we are blind. Without it, we leave the fate of our world to chance. I'm sorry to disturb you, Albus, but I've just received troubling news. Tell me, what is it? It's Grindelwald. The time is closed, my brothers and sisters. Our war with the Muggles begins today! The world as we know it is coming undone. If we're to defeat him, you'll have to trust me. Mr. Kowalski, we need you. I said I want an out and I want out. You do know I'm a witch, right? Dumbledore asked that I give you something, Jacob. This is the team that's going to take down the most dangerous wizard in a century. Who wouldn't like our chances? (laughs) Oh! (laughs) No one can know everything. 
Not even you. What you're doing is madness. With or without you, I'll burn down their world. Dangerous times favor dangerous men. If by tea time, all of us are still alive, you should consider our efforts a success, Mr. Kowalski. My pleasure. Do you really intend to turn your back on your own kind? It was you who said we could reshape the world. Even if we make mistakes. We can try to make things right. We're going to need some help. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Things are not quite what they appear. I trust you're enjoying your wand, Mr. Kowalski. Can I keep this? <laughs> Coming to theaters this April. Uh, this, I, I, of course, I've already told you I'm excited about this. I've been enjoying the Fantastic Beasts series. This is Professor Albus Dumbledore knows the powerful dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald is moving to seize control of the wizarding world. Unable to stop him alone, he entrusts Magisu Wallace's Newt Scamander to lead an intrepid team of wizards, witches, and one brave muggle baker on a dangerous mission where they encounter old and new beasts and clash with Grindelwald's growing legion of followers. But with the stakes so high, how long can Dumbledore remain on the sidelines? The ensemble cast is returning. I think I've seen a few new faces. Uh, we got Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law, Ezra Miller, Dan Fogler, Allison Sudol. Uh, we do, of course, have a different Grindelwald. We've got Mads Mikkelsen instead of Johnny Depp, uh, but they can make that work because he seems to have shape-shifted a couple of times. So <laughs> I guess we can just go with it. And I do enjoy Mads Mikkelsen uh, in playing villainous roles as I first saw him in Casino Royale. Daniel Craig's first James Bond film, and he was really good in that. Plus, you know, he's been in some Star Wars movies now. Well, at least one, uh, you know, seeing him in Rogue One, uh, he was really excellent in that. Even it was a kind of a smaller part, but uh, he's just a great actor, so kind of cool with being able to see him. Something else I didn't expect to see in front of the Batman was something that looks actually pretty funny. The League of Super Pets. So, you are a dog. I am the Batman. I'm not really great with animals. Yeah, I'm not really great with people. Probably because of my traumatic puppyhood. As a child, my family was taken from me. As a puppy, I was taken from my family. So I'd steal myself. My emotions always in check. No one ever getting past my impenetrable defenses. Ah, what the heck? <laughs> that can't be sanitary. Every day, me and Suits hang out. You literally worship the ground that dude walks on. Technically, he flies. Batman works alone, except for Robin and Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, my IT crew, whoever Morgan Freeman played. What do I have here? <gasps> Squeezy Bruce! Squeezy what? That better be a licensed toy or I will freak out. 
All righty. Well, coming to theaters this summer, Dwayne Johnson stars as the voice of Crypto the Superdog in Warner Brothers Pictures' animated action-adventure feature, DC League of Super Pets from director, from director Jared Stern. This also, we've got Kevin Hart, uh, which I'm not a big Kevin Hart fan. Uh, he's playing the Bat Dog, I guess. Uh, Kate McKinnon, uh, John Krasinski, Vanessa Bayer. I'm not sure. Uh, I guess she was on The Office, but I don't think I, I don't know who that is. Natasha Leon, Diego Luna. Oh, hey, Diego Luna. Yeah, he's coming up in some. Uh, oh, he was in Rogue One, the Star Wars store. He's got a series coming up pretty soon, by the way. Mark Maron from The Joker. Uh, Thomas Middleditch. Uh, ben Schwartz from Sonic the Hedgehog and DuckTales. And Keanu Reeves. Did you recognize his voice? Him being Batman. So, in the DC League of Super Pets, Crypto the Superdog and Superman are inseparable best friends, sharing the same superpowers, fighting crime on Metropolis side by side. When Superman and the rest of the Justice League are kidnapped, Crypto must convince a ragtag shelter pack, Ace the Hound, PB the Potbellied Pig, Merton the Turtle, and Chip the Squirrel to master their own newfound powers and to help him rescue the superheroes. Uh, Stern is a veteran writer and consultant for the Lego movies. <laughs> this is his animated feature film director oral debut. Uh, this that's that's pretty good caliber right there because I've enjoyed the Lego movies. They've been a lot of fun. Uh, this looks just to be a lot of goofy fun. Um, something I didn't think I would be interested in, but uh, as it's been coming along, I'm getting to get another look at it. I'm 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 thinking I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to go see this. It should be fun. Something else I'd never heard of, but uh, would you be interested in playing, uh, seeing a Nick Cage comedy where Nick Cage basically is playing himself? Now, I couldn't find the actual trailer I saw in front of the Batman, but I did find this one. The Unbearable Weight Nick Cage. Oh of Massive God. Talent. I love you! Nick Cage. Nick, you've been living at the Sunset Tower for over a year. They love having me there. You owe them $600,000. Okay, I'm going to deal with all that. But I'm going to get this next wrong. And when I do, all of that changes. Then I'm back. Not that you went anywhere. Nicholas Cage, oh my God. I love you. <laughs> he was so good in The Rock. What about gone in 60 seconds? Have you seen Croods 2? No, I'm 44 years old. Why would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to southern Spain. And you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Yeah, Javi. Mr. Cage. Excuse me. Is Javi going to want me to, uh, you know? I'm not sure I understand. Look, it's Javi. I am Javi. Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage? That's freaking cool. I am so happy that you're here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20000 for it. What have you got there? Divine inspiration. I'm paranoid. Let's just get up on the count of three and run. They're coming! Grab my hand. You're heavier than you look. I have a very big head. You go! I'll never forget you, Rams. Mr. Cage? It turns out we could have just walked around. 
Well, I guess so. April 22nd. Uh, this is not the same trailer that I saw in the theater over the weekend. Uh, that one focused, I think, a little bit more on the friendship between Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal's character. Uh, and then the, um, like, some sort of federal government thing tells him, oh, by the way, this this Pedro Pascal's character is actually kind of a bad guy, and we want you to spy on him for us. Uh, it just gets ridiculous. But uh, here's the description here. Nicolas Cage stars as Nick Cage in the action comedy The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Creatively unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, the fictionalized version of Cage must accept a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of a dangerous superfan. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when Cage is recruited by a CIA operative and forced to live up to his own legend, channeling his most iconic and beloved on-screen characters in order to save himself and his loved ones. With a career built for this very moment, the seminal award-winning actor must take on the role of a lifetime, Nick Cage. I, this just looks so much silly fun. I, I am actually pretty excited for it. We also did get a new uh, trailer for Sonic, which looks cool. I you know I, I enjoy the first Sonic the Hedgehog, and so Sonic the Hedgehog two, uh, I'm down with it. Uh, but there was a new trailer. If you got a chance to go out to a f- film uh, at the theaters this weekend, you might have seen a new trailer. But uh, I had not seen it online yet. So at the time of this recording, I have not seen it online, so I can't play the audio for you. But there was a new Sonic trailer out there. Uh, go take a look and see uh, if it's maybe, you know, on a Tuesday. Usually they seem to pop up a lot of new trailers. Maybe it's come up online. Uh, but still looks a lot of fun. Uh, just keeping uh, up with the uh, the goofy fun of it. And uh, I think part of the, the, the joke they wanted to go with, because this is in front of a Batman movie, they played up the... Uh, his the blue demon or whatever he's or the blue blur that he's trying in his voicing and uh, being made fun of it like he's trying to be Batman. Uh, that was pretty much the the joke of it. Uh, but yeah, it really, really looks like a whole lot of fun, and I am definitely looking forward to checking it out. Uh, which I believe is coming out pretty soon. I think it's supposed to be out this spring sometime. Uh, I you know without having an information packet because I didn't get a new trailer. Uh, I can't tell you exactly when, but I think it'll be out by the end of this month. But uh, don't quote me on that one. Oh, Want to see a movie? Yeah. Any good? It was bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing. My eyeballs could have been sucked from their sockets. I like it a lot. The best movie ever made. A, a fandom nexus, nexus movie review. All right. Unless you were living under a rock. <laughs> Uh, you know, the Batman uh, has come out and it's it's like highly anticipated, but he also uh, highly criticized before it even came out. And I know I was a little skeptical. Uh, you know, I didn't know Robert Pattinson uh, playing it. I didn't know how well he was going to do. Um, and the suit, you know, it didn't quite look right to me when they first showed it in the mask and everything. Uh, it's still not the best bat suit I've ever seen. I mean, I, I do appreciate they've gotten to where you can move his head around a lot better. Uh, it seems. And the Batmobile, I'm still not a big fan of it. I mean, it just looks like a horsepowered car, uh, but it's it doesn't say Batman, really. When you look at it, you're not thinking Batman. Uh, however, I, for what they were going with, uh, the, how they're presenting the, the, the character, it actually works really well for for how Batman is uh, presenting himself in this. Uh, this feature features, of course, Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, Jeffrey Wright, which, you know, I I always know he's in a bunch of things. Let me look that up real quick, because I know I've seen him in tons of movies. Uh, let's see, he was the voice of the Watcher. 
Uh, Batman, the audio adventures podcast series. Oh, a podcast series. I think I'm going to have to, uh, he was the voice of Batman. I'll have to look into that. The last of us part two. That's interesting. Uh, he's played, played a character on Rick and Morty. Um, I'm pretty sure there's gotta be a lot of stuff. Cause when you look at him, you're like, Oh yeah, him. Uh, he was in the good dinosaur as a voice, uh, did a couple of hunger games movies, but I didn't really watch much on that. I, I couldn't even get through the first one because of the shaky cameras. Quantum of solace. There we go. Felix lighter. That's where I can recognize him from as the bond films. He played Felix. I knew I knew him from something that I've seen Colin Farrell, even though you won't recognize him at all. Uh, I thought maybe because of the Arkham games, they, they gave the penguin a bit of an accent. I thought maybe they would let him use his accent a little bit, but no, he's he's speaking like a kind of city-style American accent gangster thing uh, and does a great job, and he's just completely unrecognizable. Uh, just fantastic. You know, Colin Farrell, really, he is a great actor. Uh, now, Paul Dano, I was not familiar with him at all. I'm going to go look through his stuff real quick. He was in a War and Peace TV miniseries. That's kind of cool. But uh, 12 Years a Slave, I didn't see... There's a, a long list of films that he's been in. Uh, he was the voice of Alexander and Where the Wild Things Are. Well, that's something, I guess. But I um, really, There Will Be Blood. I've heard of that movie, at least. But there, I mean, a lot of stuff that I just didn't see when I looked through the list. Uh, a couple uh, episodes of The Sopranos popping up in there. But uh, yeah, I haven't really ever seen him in anything. But uh, him as the Riddler, uh, I think he nailed it. Uh, as both at times being... a disturbingly scary and having that little bit of insane uh, with the ego of the Riddler considering himself to be the smartest guy in the room uh, when you see him. Uh, it's He's like a perfect balance of everything you would expect the Riddler to be and I was pretty impressed. Now, I, I, he he doesn't do anything that makes him look like the Riddler other than you can see uh, his mask is kind of a dark forest green so at least he is wearing some green. But you know, he doesn't look like you expect the Riddler to look. Uh, this is, you know... Okay, steeped in supposedly realism. I'll, I'll, I'll register my complaint on the realism uh, here in a bit. Uh, John Turturro, I did not realize he was going to be there as Carmine Falcone. Of course, he used to be called Falcone, but whatever. Uh, Andy Serkis as Alfred, which I almost underutilized it. I would have liked to have seen more of him. And uh, Peter Skarsgård as District Attorney Gil Coulson. Uh, we did not get to meet Harvey Dent, but I have a feeling at some point we might. Overall, the casting, I think everybody really did a, a very good job with their characters. Uh, you've got about three hours where every character kind of has an arc all together. And this movie, it it knows that we know who Batman is. So they just jump into telling us a Batman story. He's been around for like two years at this, this point. And this is a detective story. In fact, this reminded me, when you read a... a uh, comic book arc that takes a year to tell the story like the hush i'm gonna bring up hush if you happen to have read it or have heard of it they did make an animated film based off of it but hush uh, i believe it was like a year-long story and you know every issue or issue or two would have one villain that would kind of focus on but there was still an overarching villain and mystery that was somehow connected with all the villains he was coming across and that's the way this plays out. It is a detective. This is, I mean, because Batman started in detective comics, and this really is a detective mystery. Now, I mean, we know the Riddler, uh, Edward Nigma. Of course, they uh, Edward Nigma is actually kind of a false name anyway. Uh, they never even mentioned him as being Edward Nigma. They gave him uh, more of a, his real name, which I believe has been used in the comics. I don't read a lot of Batman, uh, but uh, the, the the mystery is 
why is he doing what he's doing? Who is he? You know, we need to catch him. We need to stop him. He's killing people and leaving envelopes for the Batman with riddles and encryption keys and stuff like that of, you know, he where he gives the solution. But all these riddles are all connected and the riddles are underneath other riddles. And it's uh, very interesting uh, with the challenge uh, that he's trying to present to Batman. And you see also Batman's relationship with the police as they're kind of building, trying to build trust with each other. Maybe uh, he, he, he trusts James Gordon and that's about it. And that's kind of the way it works. And he's the only one that trusts the Batman. And so we have a lot of that character development. We see some characters that are kind of uh, opposed to the Batman uh, early in the movie. We see them later, like, and they're like, yeah, you're actually have been kind of helpful to us. So they kind of get cool with them. Uh, there are probably some corrupt police in there because this this film also deals with a lot of the corruption of Gotham City and just how deep does that corruption go. And that is secrets of the Riddler knows, and he's trying to riddle the Batman into finding out just how deep that corruption goes. And it will make him question everything he believes in through the course of the film and also has a really good character arc that you don't see happening. So for a long time, you don't see uh, Bruce Wayne really growing as a character because he's mainly in the bat suit. Most of the time, you don't see him as Bruce Wayne very often. Uh, he's going around as Batman, but there is a definite character growth and then a moment of aha that leads to a really great scene uh, by the end and a really good payoff. Uh, so overall, I did enjoy this film, and I want to say that, that this was a great film, and I think it was totally worth sitting there for three hours, and I, I do plan on picking this up. Uh, this was written by Matt Reeves, Peter Craig, and uh, Bill Finger, is credited as uh, being a Batman created by, of course, we all know Bob Kane, uh, but uh, directed by Matt Reeves as well, um, and I, I expect we might see more from him. In fact, I've been hearing that he is supposed to be putting on some sort of GCPD series on hbo max uh, i've seen some conversations with him where he's talking about that they could be a bit more of a horror ish type of thing where it's going to focus around arkham asylum and the scariness of that location so uh we've got some upcoming things now my only complaint and this is the same complaint i had when you look at the teasers and the trailers is we see times where so the armor doesn't make sense okay uh, like even in the, the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, as we call it, uh, Morgan Freeman's character. Um, wow. Wow. I forgot. And he's a major character in like even the animated series. And it's just it's gone. Wow. The, the thing of care. But he tells him that the armor will protect him except for a straight shot, straight shot from a gun. And it's going to hurt him or probably pierce the armor. Because uh, the idea here with Batman, he's got to have light enough armor to where he can move, and he's got to move quickly. If the armor's too heavy, uh, he's not going to be able to move that well. As we saw in the 89 Batman, uh, you know, that shot from a gun would knock him down. He'd get back up, but it'd knock him down. It wouldn't pierce the armor, but the, the force of the impact of the bullet would still knock him down. Maybe knock the wind out of him a little bit. But that's believable armor for having just enough, maybe Kevlar that's light enough for him to move. But, you know, he's not going to, you know, unless somebody gets a direct shot right at him, it's not going to pierce the armor and he's going to survive. This armor, there's times we see him take a pretty point blank shot in the chest near at the beginning. The first fight of things, somebody gets a handgun shot, just bam. I'm fine. Don't feel it. There's other times you see him a fully automatic weapon. It does hit him. You see it spark, 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 spark up the armor. Didn't phase him at all. We There's another time where Batman takes a pretty nasty fall uh, after using a really cool wingsuit, by the way. Uh, but he doesn't land well, and he bashes into a lot of stuff, hits the ground. 
he gets up. No, I'm okay. He, he might might limble a, a little bit. Now, any other Batman, even the animated series, we see him with that type of fall, he's going to be hurt, and he might call for Alfred to come and pick him up at my location. I'm sending off a device so you can find me. You know, that kind of thing. Because uh, he's Batman. He's not Superman. And part of what makes Batman cool is him being human, and they... We lost a lot of that humanness when he seems to be able to take impacts. In fact, I see in the film you will see him take a near identical fall to where I've I've, I've seen a man fall from that same height and die. Uh, Owen Hart here in Kansas City at that Camp Arena at a, a wrestling event at pay per view. I was there, and Batman takes a very similar fall towards the end of the film, and he's fine. But this is also after. He he finally had a, a, a he got shot by something finally knocked him down and it was like a shotgun and it knocked him completely delirious I'm like he has taken all these shots from all these guns but finally it's a shotgun that knocks him on his butt and now knocks him delirious it's it's like story convenience it's it's plot armor uh, in the worst way uh, but that's my only complaint other than that uh, I really did enjoy it but I do not want to get into any spoilers right now uh, we will return to this. And I uh, will drop some spoilers, uh, by the way, uh, and I will warn you ahead of time, uh, but that'll be at the end of the film. Uh, I do want to bring up another film that I watched that I didn't know was going to be on Disney+. Plus. I missed it in theaters. West Side Story. I probably should have brought this up before we got into the Batman, right? Because <laughs> it's... But uh, I have never seen the original West Side Story film, but it's now on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it. I do recommend you watch it. It is a good film. So here we go. The 2021 Steven Spielberg directed West Side Shore, West Side Story. Uh, it's, you know, Tony Kushner wrote a screenplay. Uh, Arthur Jones is based on a stage play and a book. I mean, it's got some of the same people who did the original. And you've got Ansel Elgort as Tony, Rachel Ziegler as Maria, which I believe she's supposed to be a newcomer. A lot, basically, a lot of people, other than Rita Moreno playing Valentina, uh, and she was in the original film as well. But a lot of people I had not ever heard of uh, they may have all been pulled from Broadway, as far as I know. But, wow, can these people sing. And they're really good acting. Uh, and uh, Rachel Ziegler is who they currently got to play Snow White in the remake of that. Now, when you look at her, I mean, she's very much Hispanic. And uh, that's, you know, I, as much as she's great, and I think she could play a great Snow White, they're losing track of who the character's supposed to be, and there's a reason why she's known as Snow White in the original um Grimm's Brothers fairy tales, but you know, that's a whole different thing. Uh, she will be popping up in Shaz Shazam Fury of the Gods. Pretty exciting. Uh, she popped up on a George Lucas talk show as a peach farmer himself and was on a podcast series called Princess of South Beach. Now, uh, I I think she could get a best, uh, best actress, if not best supporting actress. I don't know what you would call her character for a scene at the end. Now, I don't want to, if you've never seen any version of West Side Story, I don't want to spoil things for you. Uh, you're going to find yourself familiar with some of these songs, I'm sure. You will have heard them somewhere before when you watch this film. Um, but there is this, her final big scene at the end. Oh, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. It is. She does so good. Uh, she's a great actress. And wow, can she sing. Uh, I So I was impressed with her. I thought she did really good. Uh, but uh, the long story short, this is kind of a 1950s New York Romeo and Juliet story and even takes a lot of its story points from Romeo and Juliet. And I was sitting there going, okay, this is the Mercutio character. This is the Tybalt character. And these two are obviously Romeo and Juliet. Um, 
I want to be careful. I mean, I'm sure you know how Romeo and Juliet ends. If you don't, I'll just leave it at that, that uh, there's a way that it ends. And I was hoping that this one would end differently. And it kind of does, but also kind of doesn't. Uh, so it's not a movie that I, find, I think I'm going to watch repeatedly. I, I'm a little curious maybe to watch the original, but I don't know if I want to because um, I like happy endings. And this is not really a happy ending, okay? But it is a very good and it's definitely worth watching once. And there are some, there are other movies that are great that I'm only going to watch once, like Saving Private Ryan. I'm only going to watch that movie once. And it's a great film, but I don't want to see it again because it is that rough. Uh, and it's it's, you know... Too much emotional damage. I don't know. It's it's a, it really does a number on me. And I like to go to movies for fun. Honestly, I like to enjoy it. But uh, it's on Disney Plus. I definitely recommend it. There's a couple of, bit of bits of language that were put into the film that I don't think were there in the original. Uh, but overall, uh, a good movie. Um, a good, a great performances of the song. Some really great um Color usage with the costumes, which I guess was in the original, up between the sharks and the jets and the different colors they wear. And even some great symbolism where we see Maria's character, who's been wearing the colors of the sharks, starts wearing colors of the jets, and then eventually takes a color of her own, uh, which meant a lot. I got the symbolism. I've taken some film appreciation classes in my day. Uh, and really, just great direction. I'm not really looking into the watching the Oscars so much this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if this one doesn't get some. Uh, West Side Story deserves to get some Oscars, and Steven Spielberg definitely, I think, deserves some attention for what he's done. I mean, he's a great director anyway, uh, but this is the best thing he's done in quite some time, and I really enjoyed it. But now I do have a main topic thing that I want to get into with you, and it's the Batman. <laughs> Since his debut, Batman has transcended the realm of comics to become one of the most popular and enduring characters in all of entertainment. He's graced the large screen and small screen numerous times in movies, TV animation, and video games. We've seen the Dark Knight's face and logo on t-shirts, hoodies, shoes, hats, leggings, and just about every other article of clothing imaginable. He's inspired toys from free fast food giveaways to high-end collectibles and has showed up on nearly every product imaginable. He's been the subject of documentary films, college studies, and art shows. I'd kind of like to do that college study. Uh, he's inspired memes, comedy sketches, and parodies, launched his own unofficial holiday, and inspired thousands of cosplayers worldwide. He's part of our shared culture and awareness. People know who Batman is, no matter who, what their age is or what their interest is, regardless of whether or not they follow comics or superpowered heroes. And uh, I, I can, you know, that's that's a whole paragraph from DCComics.com. And I mean, I remember, I think the first major thing of Batman I remember watching was in the early 80s, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe would come on at 4.30, then at 5 o'clock. And I can, I can never remember if they showed it for just a half hour or if they showed it for the full hour so you get to both parts of the story. But they had the 1968, I believe, Batman on syndication, and I would watch it every day. Now, I didn't know they were trying to be campy and silly. You know, to me, it was it was Batman. And I was probably familiar with Batman mainly from watching the Superfans cartoons every Saturday morning. And, you know, uh, even I think Saturday on, on, well, not Saturday afternoon so much, but but like weekday afternoons, I believe Superfans was on because you had, you know, different versions of Superfans. You know, they had Challenge of the Superfans and all that kind of thing. You know, some would be a Saturday morning and some would be on syndication. And I remember watching. So I'm familiar with Batman. 
um, and his friends being Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman, you know. Uh, so I, that was my familiarity, but I got even more familiar kind of with the 1960s series. That was the Batman I was used to. I got to say, in 1989, when I started seeing it, it kind of blew my mind what was going on. I was like, that is not the Batman I remembered. But, you know, I was just a kid at the time. I mean, 89, I was 12 years old. Uh, I, so, and I wasn't, you know, I was I'm kind of a Marvel guy, I guess, really. Uh, so I wasn't really paying attention to Batman. I didn't know a whole, whole lot about it. But uh, there, there's some interesting stories with the 89 Batman. And some of you might already know this, but uh, we're going to get into it later anyway. But let's go back to 1939 with DC Comics looking for a new hero. And this is a character who could build on the wild success of earlier phenomenon, Superman. And uh, they went to an unlikely creative source, a gag cartoonist named Bob Kane, asked him to design a, hero, a new hero. Bob Kane, and then with the writer, Bill Finger, would actually go on to conceive one of the most popular enduring characters of the 20th century. Now, a DC fandom website said that the original concept of Batman was, of course, developed by writer-artist Bob Kane, inspired by Sherlock Holmes, Zorro, a Leonardo da Vinci sketch of a bat-winged flying machine, and his own imagination— and Kane actually sketched an early version of the character, uh, which looked entirely different than what you uh, expected to see now. But he took that idea over to Bill Finger, and they developed the concept. And Finger himself said on more than one occasion that Kane did indeed create a version of the character before Finger got involved with the project. Kane was inspired by the flying machine of Leonardo da Vinci in a movie he had seen called The Bat, and of course, by Lilligosi's 1931 film Dracula, which features a man bat in its opening credits. However, Finger did suggest a different costume direction for the Batman, and that's where we got the costume that we're more familiar with. And some of the original, you know, Bat-Man is what it was originally. It looked a little too much like Superman. He had a mask, had but he had, like, bat wings on, and uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, and I think there was also some uh, influence from pulp comics like The Shadow, and they even mentioned Lee Falk's character, The Phantom, as Kane admitted that he studied newspaper strips on a routine basis. And that's kind of where the mask that Batman originally had was that kind of looked like The Phantom. Now, the very first Batman story was The Case of the Chemical Syndicate. It was written by Bill Finger and drawn by Bob Kane. Published Detective Comics number 27, hit the newsstands March 30th, 1939, although the cover date says May 1939. Comics have always been that way, and I don't know why. There's probably a reason for it. In this first story, this is Batman introduced as an uninteresting socialite Bruce Wayne. Donning his iconic costume, he becomes a merciless crime fighter who dispatches hoodlums with grim satisfaction. Fitting in for his kind, Batman announced, after knocking a criminal into a vat of acid. You'd see some inspiration for the Joker maybe later. Uh, this is, of course, uh, his utility belt got used on the first time to store some gas pellets uh, in the Detec Detective Comics number 29. That is in July 1939. First boomerang-like Batarang and first Bat-themed vehicle, the Bat-Gyro, which was a helicopter blade, debuted in Detective Comics 31. That September, the Bat-Gyro was replaced by the Bat-Plane, which first appeared Batman number 1, March 1940. Batman's tragic origin story, in which a mugger guns down Bruce Wayne's parents as the family walks home from a movie, was introduced six months after the hero's debut in Detective Comics number 33 uh, in November 1939. This seemingly simple origin would continue to be explored and mined for emotional depth for decades to come. Now, Britannia, you know, like Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannia, says the success of Batman's appearances in Detective Comics led to the eponymous that's a million-dollar word. Anyway, spinoff title that debuted in the spring of 1940, where the same year that Robin was introduced. Ghost artists such as Jerry Robinson and Sheldon Moldoff illustrated the additional material, but due to the terms of his contract with DC, Kane would receive the credit for such work. Finger, who was responsible for some of the most recognizable elements of the Batman mythos, 
would not be acknowledged as a co-creator of the character for more than 75 years. Batman's number one introduced two villains who would become integral components of the character's history. The sneering clown Prince of Prime, the Joker, the sultry Princess of Plunder, the Catwoman. Although she was called the Cat during her initial appearance, Batman and Robin were soon challenged by a growing contingent of odd antagonists. The Scarecrow, Penguin, and Riddler were just some of the rogues who repeatedly took on the dynamic duo. Batman and Robin's synchronized acrobatics and deductive mastery dazzled readers, as did their arsenal. They each sported utility belts containing the tools of their trade, with batarangs, bat robes, all kinds of devices. Even vehicles stored in warehouses in the secret Batcave beneath the grand home, Wayne Manor. By 1942, Gotham City Police Commissioner James Gordon, in a reversal from the early days of the comic, when he had ordered his officers to fire upon Batman, was summoning the hero into action by illuminating the nighttime skies of Gotham City with the back signal. Now, uh, they started appearing in DC's world's finest, well, well, it was world's best at the time, uh, in 1943, and they got their own newspaper strip, and they swigged into movie theaters and two serials from 1943's The Batman, or just Batman, and then The New Adventures of Batman and Robin in 1949. They guest starred in several episodes of the radio program The Adventures of Superman in the, the mid-1940s, which I've heard some of the radio adventures of Superman, and even Superman was quite different. So uh, I'm going to jump ahead here to January 12th, 1966. That's when it was. ABC premiered a live-action Batman television series starring Adam West and Burt Ward. Uh, this is Batman bubbling with the flashy costumes and sets when color television was relatively new, so they wanted to have big colors. Pop art, sound effect, graphics, and a rotating roster of scenery chewing villains with Cesar Romero as the Joker, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, Vincent Price as Egghead, Milton Burl as Louis the Lilac, Joan Collins as the Siren, an Eartha Kitt Catwoman role that was also shared with Julie Newmar, which Julie Newmar was the original and my favorite of the two. Uh, they were among the celebrities who made appearances as Batman's foes. Uh, and even uh, Roddy McDowell, I believe, played a... Uh, not quite. He, he reminds me of the Clock King, but he wasn't quite the Clock King. But he was had similar. He had like a hat on. It was the Bookworm, I believe. And I believe that was Ronnie McDowell, uh, who would later come on to voice um, the Mad Hatter in the animated series. Very very cool stuff. I mean, Bat merchandise just hit the fan. I mean, it was just everywhere after this trip. Uh, the theatrical movie was churned out for the summer of 1966. In the late series, Yvonne Craig joined the cast as Batgirl. And the entire superhero genre benefited from the show's success, but declining ratings led to its cancellation after just three seasons. Yeah, introducing Batgirl kind of, it hurt the show a little bit. Um, it, it it pulled away from the Batman and Robin a little bit to give, give Batgirl some things to do. Uh, I don't know if the idea is they were one of the, they thought girls were watching, and so they wanted to give them a character as well. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But the interesting thing is the comics started uh, to reflect it uh although the 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 cells of the comic show the comic books uh deflated a little bit once the television show left the air and this slump was overcome through efforts of writers such as denny o'neill steve englehart and len wayne and a lot of dynamic artists including neil adams dick giordano and marshall rogers and uh, in the 80s batman was able to explore some grimmer themes which reached its apex and the batman Dark Knight Returns, 1986 four-issue miniseries by writer and artist Frank Miller. And that has been regarded as one of the first American graphic novels. Set in the near future, The Dark Knight portrayed an aging Bruce Wayne crawling out of retirement to restore order to a chaotic Gotham City. Miller's gritty take on Batman established a template for writers and artists to follow. And he, he was kind of getting back to form a lot of what the original um, 
Batman uh, was was shown to be. Uh, so, of course, we get in 1989, we get Tim Burton's silver screen adaption of Batman with Michael Keaton. Now, at one point, they would talk to Ivan Reitman, uh, apparently to direct a Batman film. And there were thoughts maybe they would do it in like 1960s style. And then uh, fans were like, no, don't do that. And uh, they were looking for a different director. And uh, Tim Burton was, I mean, he's, hey, let's face it, Tim Burton's creative, right? Um, but then when they cast Michael Keaton, because he was known for his quality roles, a lot of people kind of got nervous. Like, Michael Keaton, no, no, they are making a comedy. But then that first trailer, uh, and it was dark. And it, I mean, I remember it, when I first saw it on TV, I was like, that's Batman? That's like, that's Batman as I've never seen him before. And I was kind of, I wasn't sure, like, what to think. But then, you know, the bat, I mean, the marketing campaign hit uh, with merchandise and a Prince album and uh, that bat dance on the radio all the time. I mean, I remember going, we went down to Silver Dollar City with my family there. And we, you know, when you travel, you know how back in the day you'd have to find a different radio station. You couldn't, didn't just plug in your phone. You'd have to find a different radio station or have a tape or something in uh, to listen to different music. Well, we were listening to radio, and we found just a pop station, you know, to listen to while we're down uh, in, uh, like, the Branson area to go to Silver Dollar City. And Bat Dance, I swear, it was, like, played every hour. I mean, it was just everywhere. And there really was just so much merchandise. I remember I even had a, a, a I think we called them squirt bottles at the time, but it was basically just a water bottle, and you you could you'd have, like, a scrungy, bendy kind of straw that would be in it, and you'd you know, screw it down. Y'all want to know what I'm talking about. You could squeeze it, it would squirt your water out, uh, really. Or you could suck on the straw thing and go out. But because of the um, the nature of how the, it was kind of a scrunchy straw, you know what I mean? Uh, if you didn't keep it washed or you didn't get it dried out properly, it would get like a moldy fungus kind of stuff down into like the little jagged edges of the straw, and then you'd be like, ew, I don't want to drink out of that. So... Yeah, it, it didn't uh, go over well. <laughs> so uh, now, in order to get Tim Burton to return to make a sequel, because uh, Tim Burton's really not a big fan of making sequels, so they they wanted him to come back as he had done so well. Uh, and we they actually even had a script written by the same script who had uh, written the first one, and there was talk of bringing in Robin with one of the Wayne's brothers. Uh, they were going to continue with Billy Dee Williams uh, as Harvey Dent to maybe work him into being Two-Face eventually. There was a lot of things that were potentially going to happen with, uh, I believe, Sam Hamm was the original writer of the first film. Well, they modified some stuff and uh, came up with a different script because in order to get Tim Burton to come back to make a sequel, they had to give Tim Burton more creative control, which is why Batman Returns is so darkly absurd and... I don't know. You know. I watched it a lot back in the day. I would have been 14, I think, when that one came out. But I, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is still a fairly decent movie, but it's bizarre and grotesque in a lot of ways. And it's one of the times where Tim Burton's creativity is just gnarly, and I can't get into it that much. Uh, but I do remember being super excited for Batman Returns and spending the day that summer before going. It was in June. Um, I remember when it was coming out and just, I spent the day watching, uh, they had Robert York had hosted for television. I recorded on a VCR tape, a behind the scenes look at Batman returns. And I watched it repeatedly all day until, uh, I went with Philip and, and our friend Seth to go see that movie. And I was just so overhyped that uh, my brain was not working. Uh, and like when, uh, the, when text come on screens 30 years later, I, my brain thought 30 years after the story, the first one, oh no, no, they meant 30 years after we saw the penguin get, you know, dropped in the sewer. So, oh, okay. But I was like 30 years later, you know, I, I said it kind of out loud. Then I had another out loud moment that Philip always loves to remind me of where, um, 
at the point that uh, Batman has knocked Catwoman kind of off the roof. But now, of course, now the 89 Batman had showed he didn't mind killing if he had to, you know, I mean, he would kill. But he went as Catwoman sliding down off a roof, scrabbling to get a hold. He grabs her. And I knew he would because he's a hero. And I said out loud, you had to do it. Like, because I was saying, just let her drop. Because uh, she had just been a real thorn in his side and just kind of whooped his tail and stuff. And I'm like, she's going to be bad news. I'm like, dude, you better just let her drop. <laughs> she's going to be in trouble later. Uh, so, well, of course, she does fall into some kitty litter afterwards. And uh, there goes another one of those nine lives. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, a very interesting turn as Michelle Pfeiffer as the Catwoman there. And uh, a very disgusting um, penguin there with... Uh, um, uh, Danny DeVito, which was a perfect choice to play the Penguin for really his size, but it was really disgusting. Uh, then, we, of course, we had the Batman in the animated series. Now, this, of course, brought us the best version of Batman I think has ever been on screen, really. it was. I, I love that series. I own it digitally. Uh, I watch it uh, a lot. I like to jump in there in the middle of the night. When, if I can't sleep or whatever, I'll go and kind of just watch it, trying to get myself to go to sleep, but uh, it doesn't always work. Uh, but some great voice actors there. Yeah, this uh, this gave a reimagined version of Mr. Freeze, uh, a different take on the Riddler. Gave us Harley Quinn. She was a brand new character. Uh, great Art Deco visuals. I mean, just amazing series. Just fantastic. Mark Hamill as the Joker. I mean, goodness sakes. Uh, and I cannot remember it for some reason. Uh, Kevin um, Conroy. Yeah, Kevin Conroy as the Batman. Just fantastic. Uh, now, also during this period, writer Jeff Loeb and t- artist Tim Sale collaborated on a number of popular comic sagas during Batman's early career, including Batman The Long Halloween, which The Long Halloween, they haven't done an animated version of it, and I don't remember how much it follows. I've read The Long Halloween. I need to own a copy, but it gives you a good backstory uh, for Two-Face in that one, The Long Halloween from 1996 and 97. Uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale have done st- some great work with Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man Blue, I believe it's called. I own that one. Oh, my goodness, it is so good. Uh, really, this is definitely stuff worth uh, reading. Uh, Frank Miller wrote and drew The Dark Knight Strikes Again and a sequel to his Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, you also have, you know, Dark Knight Year One has been since then. You've got, in 2006, Grant Morrison and Paul Dini, a writer responsible for many other most memorable episodes of the anime series, reinvigorating various Batman comic books with a series of high-concept storylines. One of Morrison's most enduring contributions to the Batman franchise was the creation of Damian Wayne. I can't stand Damian. Uh, the son of Bruce Wayne and Talia al Ghul. The spoiled but gifted Damian assumed the mantle of Robin and acted as an anti-heroic foil to both Batman and the previous Robins. Damian's heroic death was one of the key moments in Morrison's seven-year run of various Batman titles, but the character was eventually resurrected. And when DC rebooted its entire comics line in 2016, Damian joined Superboy in the series... Super Sons. Now, of course, we all know about the Christopher Nolan-directed trilogy, beginning with Batman Begins, uh, followed up by The Dark Knight, and then, of course, The Dark Knight Rises. We've seen Ben Affleck play Batman in a few films, and now we've got, of course, well, we did have a Lego Batman movie, uh, which was a lot of fun. And we, of course, now get the new Robert Pattinson. Um, you know, so it's, there's your, I mean, it's a brief history of Batman. <laughs> Uh, I you know, just didn't get into every little detail, but I mean, goodness, uh, I think that'd be enough. But so, yeah, Batman has just been with us. He's an iconic character. And what makes him special is being an ordinary human that's gone to the peak of his studies and, and combat and escape artists and, and just everything. Uh, one of the first Batman stories that I bought of a Batman comic, I got a uh, 
I got, it was like an award I got at school. I think I was in middle school at the time. Uh, that gave me a gift certificate to use, I believe, at a Walden Books at the mall nearby here, on Metro North Mall. And I went in there and I bought a story, a graphic novel. It was called The Many Deaths of Batman. And I was intrigued, like, The Many Deaths of Batman, what's this? And it was uh, someone going around, and it didn't feature, like, the major Batman villains, but someone was going around killing people who could have been Batman and putting them in a Batman costume or finding their bodies. And these were people that it turned out had maybe been some of the people that had trained Bruce Wayne that didn't realize they were training Batman. It's like a race car driver and things like that. So it's a really great mystery story. Uh, but it's one of the first things that I ever bought. Now, moving on from that, uh, now I want to get into a uh, spoiler-filled review of the Batman. Uh, so... Uh, before I get into that, uh, to give you an opportunity to to pop off of there, I do want to remind you to visit NeverlandPodcast.com, where you can check out our sponsor, My Podcast Reviews. I have a link right there on the website. Uh, if you happen to have a podcast and you want to be able to get your reviews from around the world emailed to you, go click on there. for I think it was, I pay like $50 a year. Uh, it's a really great service to be able to go and look at your reviews, and you even can get a little thing where you can easily share them on your website, which I have done. It's a really, really great. I definitely recommend it. My podcast reviews, if you click that link there, I get a little bit of kickback, helps support the show. Uh, also, I do ask you to go to patreon.com and find our page there, which basically on NeverlandPodcast.com, you can find a link to our Patreon right there, and you can support the show on Patreon, and I do appreciate that. But now, uh, let's get in with some spoilers and I'm going to give you about five seconds to uh, pause this show before you get a chance to watch the film, The Batman. Okay, if you're still here, I'm presuming you've seen The Batman. Uh, and I want to mainly get into, like, I mean, the, the mystery of this uh, and how it unraveled and all the, uh, the all that. Uh, you know, seeing the Joker kind of, or hearing the Joker really pop up uh, and all the different teases. I mean, really great seeing where it was. But uh, I love the aesthetic. And this is where I didn't want to be that spoilery of, sh you know, how they're presenting the Batman. I should have mentioned it uh, before, but I, I thought I'd save it. Where like the Batmobile being kind of. Um, it, it doesn't stand out. They, that seemed to be a theme. Uh, I, I kind of liked that, that, that we'd, when we first see Bruce Wayne, he's kind of in disguise. He's just kind of walking the streets, kind of looking like a homeless guy a little bit. Uh, and he's got a big backpack on where all his gear is kept. Uh, but that was interesting. He could do a lot of spy-style detective work in, in disguise, which is very Batman-like. He does that in the comics. But how he would go around, and he donned the suit only when he needed to. And I've got to say, I loved him um, having both... The silent disappearing trick that he's kind of known for. You don't hear him coming. He just, he, poof, he's there. Then, poof, he's gone. Being able to pull that ninja stuff. But when he wants to be heard, I really liked when he's stepping out of the shadows and you hear his footsteps. And it reminded me a little bit of Resident Evil 2 with the uh, the tyrant Mr. X that would become marching along. You hear him, the steps, and it's like the impending sound of your doom. Uh, I really appreciated that, and also the heavy breathing of the Riddler through his mask. The sound design, uh, I gotta give credit for it. just simple things like that that just added to the ambience and the eeriness of the film. I really appreciated it. But with with having a Batman who's trying to not stand out, I mean, he's up, got, has a regular motorcycle he'll ride around on. Uh, I'm sure there's some tricks on that motorcycle we haven't seen, but having a car that you don't look at and say, oh my gosh, that's a Batmobile, having it just be kind of a, a muscle car, it, you, you wouldn't think anything of it if he was just driving it down the street 
you wouldn't say, oh my gosh, it's Batman. You would just say, well, wow, that's a souped up car. So, and it, it worked in that aspect. I mean, it's, it's not a cool Batmobile, but it's a cool Batmobile idea, you know, that uh, they being nondescript. Uh, so there's a lot of really neat things going on there. But now um, I did stick around for a post-credit thing. And there was, hopefully you did too, but there was a little question mark cursor thing that popped up in the middle of the screen and said, goodbye. And then before it fades out, it kind of seems to turn to some different lettering, but it happens really fast. I didn't get to catch it. You'd have to be able to snap a photo with your phone or something to catch this. But uh, it does have a website that's ratalada, R-A-T-A-A-L-A-D-A dot com. And you click that and uh, a lot of uh, like text comes down uh, the screen uh, showing a lot of different stuff. And uh, then uh, it clicks for reward and you basically get like a, um, a phone wallpaper that you can download. And it's got like some of the cryptic text that the Riddler, the Riddler leaves, which uh, as has been decoded by a guy on Reddit called Vengeance 22. It says, you think I'm finished, but perhaps you don't know the full truth. Every ending is a new beginning. Something is coming. So that could be something coming for the sequel. Now, somebody else, I think it's the same guy, featured, uh, there's like numbers that were coming up on the screen uh, when, when you go to the website that refers to Detective, Detective Comics 27, the release of May 1939, introducing Batman and Gordon. Uh, you've got uh, Batman number one from spring 1940, where Catwoman and the Joker first appeared. You've also got a reference to the debut of the Penguin in De- Detective Comics 58, December 1941. You've got some more numbers that points to Detective Comics 140 in October 1948, first appearance of the Riddler. You've got uh, a reference to Batman number 405, March 1987, in which Carmine Falcone was introduced. And then even numbers denoting Batman number 16 for April 1943, the first appearance of Alfred. But there are two final numbers. And let me read these directly. That was over on IGN. Final two are the important ones, and uh, 3-4-2022 is easy. That's Batman's release date on March 4th. However, 258.10-1974 seemingly points to Batman number 258 from October 1974. As noted by the Reddit post, Batman 258 features a story in which Two-Faced is broken out of Arkham Asylum. As such, some fans are wondering if a sequel to the Batman will feature the corrupt district attorney. However, it's worth noting that Batman 258 is the first time Arkham Asylum was featured in DC Comics, so it may be that the website is hinting at Arkham may be a large part of it, a potential sequel. Now, if you add in that thought of that uh, Matt Reeves has talked about, they're working on a series, that uh, I guess it's going to be titled GCPD, but it's going to be focusing a lot on Arkham Asylum, it could be a reference to that series. We don't know. That seems to be a little bit more likely, but I'd love to see Two-Face done uh, properly as we see him in the long Halloween or in Batman, the animated series. I'd love to see Two-Face done in that fashion. Uh, but uh, once again, uh, and I, I'll, I'll try to put the links in the show notes uh, for this, though, so you can look at this yourself. R-A-T-A-A-L-A-D-A dot com. Uh, that is where you can go and see this, and you can go get your wallpaper. It's a pretty neat little thing. It looks like the Joker or the, the Riddler has one last riddle for you. All right, now we do want to have some thank yous before we uh, leave today. I want to, of course, thank Karen Kennedy 
Ricky Pope of Christian Nerds Unite, and Darren Wilhite of the Wilhite and Wall Show for helping me out with the introduction in the show. And Ricky Pope has got a couple other voice things he's helped out with in the middle of the show. Remember, you can email us, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. Find us on twitter.com at neverlandpcast, although I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. Facebook.com, Neverland Podcast. Also, we do have a Facebook group, uh, Facebook groups, Neverland Podcast. We do have a voicemail number, although I think they're about to shut it down because I haven't really used it to make any calls. 816-226-6492. On our website, make sure you go and join the Neverlanders to pick yourself a nickname uh, for uh, as a lost boy or pixie. And of course, don't forget about our Patreon link. I do appreciate the help. But for now, get lost. In an adventure! We'll see you next time. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.